Welcome to Guest of the Year. I'm the host. My name's Mike. This week's guest setlist curator is owner of DeLewis Guitars, Luthier Greg DeLewis. Greg makes handcrafted acoustic and electric guitars and specializes in Jerry style guitars. Uh, he has worked on custom guitars for Melvin Seals, the Garcia family, Zach Nugent, and many others. Uh, links to Greg's Instagram and his websites are in the show notes. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much. Pleasure. Pleasure. This week's prize pack provider is Shelburne Farms. Shelburne Farms is a Vermont-based education nonprofit on a mission to inspire and cultivate learning for a sustainable future. Their work seeks to create the space to spark conversations and share the stories to inspire educators, students, and learners of all ages to build a better future for everyone. They practice regenerative agriculture to craft farm products and meals, and the winner of this will be getting some cheeses from uh, Shelburne Farms. Thank you so much to Shelburne Farms. Everyone can check out their link uh, in the show notes. And thanks to Tom for connecting us. Here's how the game works. We'll play the first part of a Grateful Dead live track, and each contestant will use the messaging system to silently guess which year their performance is from. Contestants who are all on a video conference together can message in their guesses at any time during the clip or in the 10 seconds after it concludes. Whoever is furthest from the correct year is eliminated. The last two deadheads standing will hear three tracks, and whoever is furthest off from the correct years in aggregate wins. We've got our returning champion Steve here with us, and we'll meet the rest of the deadheads in a moment. Four-time returning champion Steve here with us, and we'll meet the rest of the deadheads in a moment. But first, without further ado, the Grateful Dead. guesses are in. It was Slipknot at Boston Garden on September 25th, 1991. Greg, uh, I always love it when curators choose a Slipknot. Talk to us about that one. This was just a particularly rip and rosy set, and uh, that's why I chose it. And it's a Northeast set. You know, it's uh, I'm from the Northeast, and they, they rip hard in those, like, fall-winter sets. So do you have a particular affinity for Rosebud or are all of uh, Jerry's guitars created equal in your eyes? Well, all of his guitars are amazing and each one like moved the ball forward in its own way. But I'm a Doug Irwin guy. So, you know, I really love, you know, starting with Wolf and, you know, 
on through. So, um, but yeah, Rosebud is the, you know, it's the penultimate Jerry guitar, I guess, but it's the, it's really the ultimate wizard stick, I think. I mean, aside from Tiger, obviously, but um, it was a nice, it was a nice send off. It was a great pick. And Steve is the only one who nailed 91. Was it Vince that gave it away? It was the two keyboards and uh, the kind of the, the, not the drum tone, but the drum feel. 91, the drum sound to me is, uh, I think, I, I think I understand what Dan Healy was going for in terms of dynamics, but in particular, like the snare drum sound to me is weak, is the best way I can put it. I'm a rock and roll guy, so I like a little bit harder hitting drum sound. Steve, the four-time champ, is 51 from Lincoln, Nebraska, and he's on to the next round. Kevin guessed 92, and Vinny guessed 90, so they're both one year off, and they both move on to the next round because Brian guessed 89. Let's meet Vinny. Vinny is 24 from San Rafael. Vinny, you guessed 90. Why 90? So when I first heard it, I first thing that came to my mind was Boston Gardens 1991. I could hear, I, I knew exactly because I know the album cover. I believe it's a Dick's Picks. It's green. And I thought that. And then I was like, maybe it's not. I was thinking more about Vince. And then I was going back and forth and trying to be like, okay, if it's, I, I know it's not 92. I, it could be right in the beginning of 90 when Vince joined and I heard the keyboards and I was like, all right, I'm just going to shoot for 90. Yeah. Right on video on the next round. Joining you is Kevin. Kevin guessed 92. Kevin is 59 from North Attleboro, Massachusetts. Kevin, way to go. Why 92? Well, I mean, I knew it was Vinny. So, but you know, that point only takes me from, it could be anywhere from 1990 to 95. So I'm trying to narrow it down. I did hear the second keyboard, so that narrowed it down to the like the Bruceias. So that was why I chose ninety two, and hometown show there. Yeah, that was at it. <laughs> oh no way! Yeah, yeah. I hate when I, you guys you're at the show and you don't get it on on uh, guess the year, you know. But it happens. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good problem to have. Okay, yeah. Brian is fifty three from Milwaukee. He guessed eighty nine. Brian uh, talks to us about the eighty nine guess. Yeah, it was just a mental breakdown. I should have gone with my first guess, which was 91. And then I just started immediately focusing on Jerry and I couldn't get off of Jerry. And I was like, yeah, I hear those keyboards. I'm like, that's just Brent, like doing two keyboards going crazy. And then I'm like, that sounds like Vince. And I'm like, no, 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 it's gotta be, it can't be, you know? And I was just focused on Jerry's sound, not, you know, ignoring what my other part of my brain was telling me. Uh, that's pretty reasonable. Brian, how'd you get into the dead? My brother got me into the dead at like 15 and uh, somehow I convinced my Commits my parents to let me go to a show in 1987 before I turned 17 in Chicago at the IUC Pavilion. Uh, that was the that was the beginning of the end. Saw the last fairly well. Saw the the last Dead and Company down in Chicago tour. Uh, saw Jerry's last shows. Saw Brent's last shows. That must have been incredibly difficult. Not only just losing Brent, but having been at his last show. Oh my God! It was just tragedy. I was planning on going to those September. I mean, I, I, I saw the last Soldier Field shows. I was planning on seeing more shows in fall. Obviously, I took a little break and then came back with Vince. I, I, I didn't go. I, was, I didn't run away from college to go do that. So you were not a big Vince guy? 
Um, I was a big Vince guy in that he continued to help them perpetuate. You know, that that's huge. You know, another five years is great. Brian, appreciate your uh, your being on Guest of the Year. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, and uh, good luck, everybody, and happy holidays. Steve, Kevin, and Vinny are on to the next round, and Greg has another awesome pick. Let's hear it. Ain't a place a man can hide. Jack Straw at Veterans Memorial Coliseum in New Haven, Connecticut on May 10th, 1978. Greg, why that one? I don't know. It's good old 70s straw on Wolf with the dual sounds. This is, you know, with Wolf when it comes back. Um, and he just rips on the thing. And uh, yeah, that's why I chose. Also, I was born 420-78, which is, you know, 20 days prior. Uh, and, I, and they were running around the Northeast at the time. And I think of myself as a stupid little baby, just getting some radio waves in my brain. Um, so then later in life, when I heard it, it seemed familiar or something. That's awesome. Steve and Vinny both guessed 77 and they're both on the final because Kevin guessed 84. We'll go to uh, Vinny one year south of 78 Vinny, but you're on to the final. Nice work. Why 77? You know, I, I always try to think of like the 77 years as being like super tight. I was going between 77 and 78, and I just kind of landed on 77 because just hoping, hoping for dear life that that was it. But 78, not too bad, so I'll, I'll take it. Sweet, Vinny. Nice work. Steve, you're on to the finals to defend your title going for the five, Pete. What made you guess 77? It was Keith. Keith was doing these little runs kind of scale runs that I, I distinctly remember or associate with the Winterland run in December 77, the New Year's run. So that's what, what led me that way. Do you have a soft spot for the uh, New Year's Eve 78 show? I, I think it, I think it's overrated. Whoa. I think, I think the event itself <laughs> is probably unparalleled. I mean, the Blues Brothers and the Blues Brothers movie and the dead and new riders of the purple sage and bill graham feeding everybody breakfasts as they're filing out of the place i mean forget about it amazing the show itself meh. 
I, they're pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's a little unfocused and not in a great way, you know. Huh. But I mean, I'm sure nobody there was saying, I don't know, that could have been a little tighter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you look at just the openings, the opening, whatever sequence, like Sugar Magnolia, Scarlet, Jerry just he's just he's just a useless grin. Like he's just standing there grinning, you know, which is great, you know. Um, right on. Kevin, 84, talk to us. I didn't hear any Donna. I didn't catch Keith. So I said, it's got to be the Brent era. And I didn't hear that tingy early 80s, 81, 82 type of keyboard. So and I knew it wasn't late 80s because Jerry's voice, the, just you just knew it wasn't late 80s. So if, if I didn't, you know, if I heard Keith, obviously I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in the situation. But I, I didn't hear Keith, so I just assumed it was uh, early 80s. I was thinking maybe even 83. I was going to 83 or 84. But um, yeah, just got, got tripped up on that. And uh, so it goes. I know what you mean about avoiding that early 80s Brent keyboard. Steve taught me that trick now that I use it all the time. It's just like, if you don't hear the plinky keys, then it's not early 80s. So you have to go later. Yeah. Kevin, how did you uh, get into the dead? Well, I got into the dead twice. Uh, I went like 81 to 85. I didn't go to any shows, 86, 87, 88. Then 89 to 95, I saw like another 125. But um, yeah, 81 was just like, you can almost forget that. I was, I was like last minute. Nobody, we just, we got drunk and it was, it was like whatever. But 82, the summer of 82, I turned 18 in August. And these two hippies moved up from North Carolina to the Boston suburb I was living in. Kyle and Laura, hello if you're out there. But anyways, they started talking about, they were wearing tie-dyes and playing Grateful Dead constantly. And we started hanging out for a couple of months. And they said, Grateful Dead's playing Boston Garden on a Saturday night in September, 82. I said, great, well, let's go. It'll be fun. Then like a week before the show, they go, they're playing Portland, Maine the night before. I said, wait a minute, we're going to go to the same band two nights in a row? I don't, you know. So I went, and then like the first set, uh, maybe the third song, Candyman, and I was like right in front of Jerry. I was tripping my brains out, and it just washed over me. It was like a spiritual experience. And I just, I was hooked. And uh, so we went to the next night in Boston, and then I'm like, hell of it. I'm going to New York. I hitchhiked down to Manhattan to Madison Square Garden on Monday. Paul Laura came down on Tuesday. And then there was only two more shows, New Haven, which was like on Thursday night. So we did that. And then Syracuse on Saturday. So I had no intention of doing a tour. And I did six shows in like seven or eight days. And then I was hooked. And in 83, I went to like every show. And um, yeah, and then I, I just, uh, I ran, I'm a war frat. So I ran into a lot of problems with alcohol and drugs. And um, I got sober in 1986. So I've uh, been sober now for 37 plus years. So I stayed away from shows for three years. You know, I was like, it's a dangerous place. Can't go there. And then I had a kid I met who wanted me to take him to, to uh, watch over him. Summer of 89, Foxborough, first show, first set playing in the band. And uh, I was like, wow, I can have fun doing the sober. I found the Warfrat meetings and all that. And um, yeah, so the rest was history. Did 125 shows and had a great time. And, um, you know, so and just the final thing I'll say is that my, I, I got married in 95 and um, and I, it's funny because the day Jerry died, August 9th, I was doing my blood test and it's like, it was the end of one year and the beginning of another. And then, um, I lost my wife to breast cancer in 2013, Diane. And on her gravestone, I have inscribed, fare thee well, fare thee well. I love you more than words can tell. And that's my story. Wow. What a tribute. Wow. Hey man, I'm 23 years sober cool. myself. So that's awesome. I've seen more shows sober than I ever did using. So yeah, way better. I, I looked to know yeah more about that. So then you started going to shows sober and, and Steve too. Um, so how, what was that experience like? 
Well, first it was very scary because you know, as we all know, there's a shitload of booze and drugs in the parking lot. I mean, once I started getting at the tour and sober, I didn't go to the. If there was a seven thirty show, I didn't show up till seven. There was nothing in the parking lot for me all afternoon. The hell was Shakedown Street and everybody doses, doses rooms and all that. I'm like, I'm good, you know. So I, it was good because when I was touring, when I was active, all I ever saw was the parking lot and the you know in the Coliseum. And then sober, I'd be like in D.C. Uh, taking in museums and and you know enjoying the culture and the restaurants and all that. So I. I got to see where I was traveling, you know what I mean, compared to when I was like in 83 or I was living on a tour bus, you know what I mean? And just like, you know, it was just like I didn't see anything, you know, even though I went to like almost every show in 83, it was a horror show in some way. It was the best of times, worst of times. But yeah, the the, the war frats and, and that type of stuff is it's solid. I mean, you know, there might be 100, 150 people sometimes in a meeting. Now, I know out of 70,000 people, that's not much. But when you get 100, 150 people together in a circle at the break, there's some power there and there's some strength, you know? So the Warfrat meetings occur during set break. Yeah, it occurred during set break, and they'd be like, you know, it depends on the yeah. size of the show, but the big, you know, Buffalo, the big 70,000 seat, whatever, like I said, 150 people. I do it now with Fitch. You know, they have the same thing, the fans, um, yeah. and it's the same type of thing, you know. I saw Ween in Kansas City this summer, and they have a group called the Sunny Bunnies. <laughs> nice. Sober Ween Freaks. Go. It's great. But a quick fish story on the side. I saw fish in 91. I thought they sucked. You know, the fishman's doing the vacuum cleaner, and they're doing the trampolines. I'm like, no, no, no. And then in 2019, I had a buddy drag me to Providence Civic Center. And the first show, first set, first tube, I got hooked again. So next Thursday night, I'm going to my 50th fish show. <laughs> Can't figure this shit out. It's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Uh, so, but, so being sober at the shows, are you able to pay better attention to what's going on? Oh, yeah. I mean, because you're not, you know, I mean, at the end of my news, and like, I think the last Grateful Dead show I saw high was April 85 at Providence. And I left the show at halftime. I was so high. I was having a very bad acid trip. And I thought everybody was the DEA and they're following me around, taking my picture. And I was just like psychotic breakdown. I was like, I, I never did acid after that. But it was so it's not enjoyable. You know what I mean? It's just, it, you, know, you know, hallucinogenics can be fun when you use them. I don't know what, what, earlier they were, but they weren't fun at the end. And um, so then when you're sober, yeah, you have nothing to fear. You know, you're not you're not doing anything illegal. You're not worried about anything. You're at peace. And the music, you know, it's the music is phenomenal, you know, so. For me, it was like what Keezy talked about. Like, once you've been through the door, like, I don't need to keep going through the door. It's just wide open, you know. And, and it's there's something about being in, there's something about standing in front of the damn stage, you know, with the steal your faces and the sound system and all that, where it all just comes, like, I get high as fuck just standing there waiting for Bobby to walk out. Greg, do you have an opinion about the intersection of psychedelics and rock music? Um, I have my only my personal experience, you know, because I think that's where I think that's where it has to end. Um, I mean, anybody can do whatever the fuck they want, uh, but I personally, yeah, it you know, I'm an artist and everything. I think uh, it definitely opened my mind, and I got wild. I got wild when I was younger, and I was a fish. I know I like, you know, Jerry died when I was 17, so I was already into it all, and I. And I went on tour with Fish. You know, I did a, f a few summers. What's going on with Trey's guitars? Where do they compare and contrast with Jerry's? I'm sure there's a lot of differences, but what's the, what's yeah, the one? They're, they're like polar opposites. Um, you know, Jerry's is really dense, tropical hardwood, really high resonant frequency. And Trey's are hollow, fully hollow, very light. And the mass is, is uh, swapped out for the air uh, column within the guitar they work differently but they both get there so they both do their the thing like i said the magic wizard stick thing i mean trey got the guy you know that it was the guy it just had to be his guitar maker is a guy named paul languedoc who is 
he's core to, he was Fish's like first sound guy. You know, he was, uh, Fish used to rehearse it, like where he made guitars. Fish like had a rehearsal space. He's part of Fish, basically. Greg, I have a question. Um, do you know why, how Doug Irwin was able to get the guitars back after Jerry passed away? It was Jerry left him the guitars. Oh, he left him the guitars. And before he passed, okay. left him the guitars. Okay. I actually spoke to Doug about this. Yeah. And it was heavy. Like Doug was like, Doug told it like, he was like, Jerry was like, you know, you're going to get the guitars. And Doug was like, what the fuck am I going to do with the guitars? And Jerry's like, I don't fucking know. You're going <laughs> to, you're going to get the guitar and you're going to figure it out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Doug and Jerry, that connection is still there. You know what I mean? If any of you ever get a chance to meet Doug, he's, he loves Jerry. Um, and he's a really great guy. Good question, Vinny. Kevin, thanks for sharing your story. Sounds like a long, strange trip you got there. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. Good luck to you guys. All right, so we got Steve and Vinny here facing off in the final three songs. Whoever has the lower aggregate score, least number of years off over the three wins. Greg has some more great tunes. All right, let's hear them. Cowboys got sore. One of them called him. Then two more. Accused him of cheating. Well, I'm not. Just couldn't be. I know my uncle. He's honest with me. Hey, I'm as honest as a paper band can be. One of them cowboys. He starts to go on. So I shot him down, Lord. He never saw. Shot me another. Hot damn, he won't go. Oh, no. In the confusion. All right, the guesses are in. Me and my uncle at the Richmond Coliseum in Richmond, Virginia on November 1st, 1985. Greg, tell us about that one. Ripping uncles in like 84, 85. Like if you go in, there's just like a bunch of them. And uh, this was just one of them. Tiger. Ripping an uncle real clean. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I thought this one was kind of tough because yeah, it was like, you know, there was, it's, it's like the early eighties thing and you know that, but let's see what the fellas did. So Steve was closer. He guessed 1983. Vinny guessed 1982. So Steve was two years off. Vinny was three years off. Steve, 83, talk to us. That recording had some weird compression on it or something. Like I was like, what the hell is happening here? And I was so that, you know, Brent's keyboard has this weird tone in 83-ish. And then the, the compression on the recording made it, to my ears, made it sound like 83 Brent keyboard. And I kind of, there was a couple Tom hits 
through the verse that I thought, fuck, that sound that could have been 85. But then Bobby, I don't know, man. It just I went with 83. It was a it was a crapshoot. And so Vinny, mad respect to your guess too, because that it could have been. I felt like that was kind of a tough one. Yeah, Greg, did you and know that was that... the recording? I don't know. That wasn't exactly how I, I might have heard it, but it, it was it was a it was a tough one anyway. Okay, that's what I was wondering because I I found a, a few recordings and it was either audience or that one. That was the best board I could I had find. an audience, but it was like a Jim Quick or someone a, d- a real good taper and it oh. just sounded awesome and uh, it was the one I heard was real ripping. I mean that's, you know, the the, the content is there, but uh, sorry about that. that's that's on me then. So yeah, Vinny, you took a kind of a a cipher there and came out only 3 years off in 82. Great work. Why 82? That was hard. That was interesting that it was 85 because 85, usually when it's like Jerry, I can usually tell it's a little bit more raspy and like you can kind of hear him start to go out a little bit before he takes his hiatus the next year. Um, I did not expect 85. Vinny, you're real good at this. How'd you get into the dead? Um, Okay, so like in the end of middle school, I was like getting really into rock music. My dad lived in LA at the time. So my mom would always like have us pick out CDs from this cabinet. And one of the CDs was Skeletons of the Closet, which was like the, the compilation disc from like the early 70s. I think it was like, I forget what part it was, some early 70s. And it had like Marlon Brando and Jerry Garcia on the back. Um, and I remember being like, okay, I recognize some of those. I recognize, you know, all the Working Man's Dead and American Beauty songs. And then from there, it just kind of started. I didn't really get into listening to the live music till maybe a couple years later. And then I remember I heard the, the 72 Oregon Sunshine Daydream the quintessential uh, 72 album uh, besides like Europe 72 and whatnot. And I remember being like, wow, this is Mexicali blues sounds pretty good live. Like what? And I remember talking to someone like a, a family friend who was like, Oh, did you know that they play music a lot better live? And I was like, are you serious? As I had no idea. So then I just went ham from there. And then I just started discovering the archive. I started um, trying to go through as many years as I can. Um, since the growing up in San Rafael is right by Terrapin Crossroads, Phil Lesh's restaurant. So I started going there occasionally. And then I went to college in Sonoma. Uh, I went to Sonoma State. And then I just being in the Bay Area, there was always dead stuff going on. So I kind of tried to keep in touch with the community and going to Dead & Co shows. And um, yeah, I mean, I just love the history. I mean, I, I collect a lot of the old 1960s and 70s Fillmore posters. Um, so I don't know. It's definitely become an obsession. I try not to mention something like that on like a first date or something like that. Just to, <laughs> so people don't, you know, get too scared away of like, okay, I've oh, no. all over like all my shirts. I try to like, you know, I remember there's someone, it was a couple episodes. Was, I think it was one of the professors talking about, he's like a Clark Kent deadhead. Eric Lynn. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, uh, I was just kind of thinking like, I'm not really like that, but kind of depending on how I get to know someone a little better before I kind of be like, okay, this is like an obsession of mine. So yeah, that's how I kind of got into it. And like, I mean, being in the Bay Area, you can't, you can't get away from it. Like there's no way. So and I got hooked and I, I also go sober to shows too. Like I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a soap, I'm sober. Like I don't drink and I'll occasionally like smoke, but I mean, I, I just fall in love with the music. Like I'm just there for the, the scene, the culture and the, the good time. So I mean, I've, Always live for, live for that. So, right on, Vinny. Really happy to have you on the show. Steve has two points. Vinny has three. The idea is to be as low as possible after three songs. Let's play the second song. 
was Felix Stranger at Oakland Alameda County Coliseum on December 16th, 1992. Craig. Well, I don't have to say much. Jerry's just fucking ripping. It's another uh, Rosie just fucking ripping, man. <laughs> but I feel like this era is like, it's modern music. Like, it's like really, it's now, um, even Vince's keyboards. I don't know. Like, there's something about this era in particular that I feel like it's like, it, it could like exist right us like next to dead and co in era. And it, I don't know. It just, to me, it feels like modern music, but yeah. What do you think of Jerry's sixties guitar tone? I mean, I like it. I thought that um, he was playing less Pauls and SGs, like different scale length and like different pickups, different position of pickups, but he always sounded great. I just think that I, my favorite Guitar is Tiger. Um, this is just like my stupid opinions, but my favorite guitar is Tiger. But like, I think my favorite clean tone, like probably ever is Wall of Sound Wolf, single coils. It's like a pedal steel. It's fucking amazing. Um, but you know how it is. Like the recordings aren't as good. Were the guitars that Jerry played in the 60s before he had money, they're doing you know, free shows in basements. Were they expensive guitars? They were professional quality guitars. They were just what was available at the time. He was playing like some sort of hollow body bretch things, um, some Les Pauls, some SGs. And then, um, and then he gets the famous uh, 55 Strat Alligator from uh, Graham Nash. And, uh, you know, Rick Turner and the boys turned it into Alligator. And that's like, you know, that's early, again, moving the ball forward. But that's like, you know, that's some high tech shit for the, for the day. And there's some, there's some question on what was in it at the time. I mean, it's, I wasn't there, you know, was, did it have a blaster? Did it not? Um, I know what it has. I've played alligator personally, but, um, you know, it has the brass, not these brass components. It's super, super dope. When you're playing a million dollar guitar, are there like safety precautions you take in terms of like not slipping on a banana peel and dropping? Me personally? Yeah, or anyone is there? Do, do they ask anything I mean, of you? When you know the people that steward these guitars, um, you know, like the guy who who owns Alligator, I know personally. He owns other instruments that are amazing too, and I think you know he's they're insured, but um, <laughs> but you know, yeah, you don't you don't take it lightly, that's for sure. And you kind of feel guilty, honestly. Personally, I feel like what am I doing playing this fucking thing? <laughs> you know, but it did tell me what am I going to do? I also played his. Uh, Jerry's uh, Martin, like the old and in the way Martin, was pretty special. What song did you play on the alligator? Um, shit, man. You know what happens when you pull up, pick up alligator? You don't know any songs anymore. Same thing with the Martin. It's just like I'm mostly just looking at it. Thanks, Greg. So these guys both guessed 93. Steve, why'd you guess 93? I'm super annoyed with myself because my first initial guess was summer of 93. I was at the RFK show and the Stranger they played the second night there was sick. Like, ooh, that sounds like that. The second I turned my guess in, which was too soon, lesson learned, <laughs> I heard Mickey playing his weird Kunga things. And I went, shit, that's December of 92. I was at those shows. <laughs> that Dick's Pig show, I was there. Um, it's great. And the night after was great. And so that's as soon as I heard, because that was kind of when Mickey started stepping away from the trap kit a little bit and started doing his auxiliary percussion thing. And I heard one of those and I just went, man, 
I jumped too quick. It was literally I hit send, and then I hit Mickey hit the cone. <laughs> I'm like, shit, that's December 92. And I'll say that we saw that run, and then I and my friend, we made a conscious decision because right after that, we went and saw Garcia at the Warfield with his band. And for the rest of that year, I didn't go to, I was living in Lake Tahoe. I didn't go to any Grateful Dead concerts with the exception of Kyle Expo. Um, and we saw every Garcia band show at the Warfield in 93. And they were all heaters. <laughs> they were all awesome. There was, it was, that was, that, that was the best was seeing Garcia in his element, comfortable, relaxed, hanging out, playing some tunes, you know. God, that was just the best. It was a high time. I'm jealous of that, man. And that room is a great Dude. room. And it's like, it's not huge, you know what I mean? It's like. It's not. And it was, and it was chill, too. And my first, that it was, I guess, yeah, it was right after that show we just listened to, like a couple days later. It's my first time at the Warfield, and I'll never forget there was this dude that somehow brought this tube in that had a bowl on it, like the size of a, like a one cup measuring cup, right? And the thing was like six feet long, and he's, and uh, it was so funny because I saw like a guy in a red vest coming down, right? Like a, like an usher type person. And I thought, oh boy, how's this going to go, you know? And the usher walks up and he sees what's happening and he literally looks at the situation and realizes the ridiculousness of it. And he says, could you guys, I don't know, try to make that a little more low key. And everybody just kind of looked at him and he went, yeah, I know. And he just walked off <laughs> and then it just kept going around. <laughs> I like, I like San Francisco. This is all right. Uh, great venue. Yeah. And great city. Vinny, the, San Francisco local, also guessed 93. Why 93? I don't know too much at 93. I definitely, I definitely listen to like everything, but like I don't focus too much on 93. And kind of when I heard, when I was hearing it, the first thing that popped up was just, it reminded me of like, I think it's called Autzen, whatever, whatever's at Oregon, Oregon 93. Yep. Um, and I really like that show because that, when it kind of sounds like Jerry's playing an acoustic guitar, but it's actually just a pedal. And that kind of, and uh, or whatever it is he's playing, like to make it sound like that. That's the cry. Oh, the cry. Yeah, okay. Direct situation. Yeah. Is it electric or is it? Yeah. A, it is electric. electric. Okay. Yeah. Greg, you're last to go here. How did you get into the dead? Uh, I'm from the Northeast and my mom had a pretty good record collection. So like Grateful Dead, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, um, Allman Brothers. I got Allman, Fillmore, East, you know, was like, I, I, that was just like music when I was a kid. So it was always there. And then, you know, when I got older and I had an older brother. So I, you know, like I, I remember seeing, I saw Black Crows. First time I ever got high was Barn Hall, Black Crows. I was like 15, 16. And, uh, my older brother got me high as shit in Barton Hall. But I uh, like, you know, it was, it was really probably him, like really getting me to go to stuff when I'm really young, which, you know, you're impressionable and, uh, you know, you see shit you probably shouldn't have. And, uh, uh, and then the next thing you know, you know, you're on both summer tours with fish though. I never did both summers with the dead. It's just, I was young and I didn't really catch, I didn't catch it in time. So now you make guitars and I know you, you hand make guitars. Could you explain like why it's important that you do it by hand? Um, just as a, as a dying art, um, I think that's enough. 
But I do think that um, people perceive uh, the care that goes into an item, whatever, whatever it might be. And people who are intuitive can certainly perceive it. If maybe they can't um, articulate it, but they might perceive it um, and it might inspire them. And that's something more maybe esoteric. On the other end of it, uh, in the world we live in, production is just everywhere. Even in the small shops now, everyone has like a CNC to kind of, you know, make up where their hands falter or to speed up the process. But it's never to make something better. Um, and so when you're trying to do the right thing every step of the way, you're not thinking about bean counting in a production setting. It's just an entirely different process than what it would be if it was a production, uh, you know, set up with board of director, directors, et cetera. So when I'm choosing woods, uh, when I'm inlay, I do all hand inlay. It's, it's like, again, if you're using the CNC to do the inlay, you're faking it. Um, and it's not better. I mean, I can cut it really tight. It's not better. It's faster for production, but the end person who gets the guitar, it's not better. It's like, uh, it's solely to speed up production. And I, I think that's important because especially now with like AI and all this crazy shit that's happening, letting our guard down and saying, no, yeah, it's okay. Fuck having this human who built this skill. And, and in a process that's been going on for thousands of years. I mean, like people have been like talking about luthiers. I mean, that's an old French word, but it's, we're talking about lutes. Um, and so it, it's, I think that part is, is important. Like I said, there's, there's layers, there's layers why the instrument is better. Um, the, the, you know, the arch top instruments, the hollow body instruments, I tune them. Um, and it's just something having a skilled craftsperson in a production setting to tune top and back is just not something that happens. Um, and so the instrument suffers and, uh, you know, simple things like listening to listening to the wood. It's like what in the production setting again, you're not listening to anything. And so you're not you're not living up to the woods potential. Uh, you know, you're not thinking about it. You're not thinking about how the thing sounds really at all. You're just starting at the beginning and going to the end. And uh, I think it can be an artistic process. And I try That's what I'm trying to trying to, you know, hold the torch, you know, and there's guys doing it, but a lot of the guys that are still doing it with sort of the old world methodology, there's just getting on an age. People can order guitars from you, correct? Yeah. DeliceGuitars.com, um, Instagrams, uh, you know, at DeliceGuitars. What's that process like where they, so they say, Hey, I want a guitar. And then you like meet with them and you discuss what type of guitar and. Yeah, I have models. That's kind of the starting point, but it's like, you know, it's a custom shop and I, because I do cut everything by hand, it's, there is a discussion that, um, that can start, but you know, I do, like I said, I do have models that you can just kind of see what's there and, uh, and go from there. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, the first parts of reach out, phone call, email, and, and then we go from there. Thanks again, Greg. You've had some great guitar centric picks and, uh, and we'll hear your possibly last one, unless there's a tie, very possible because, Steve has two points. Vinny has three. Only one point cushion for Steve. 
Let's hear the third song of the finals. Estimated profit, Paramount Northwest Theater in Seattle on September 28th, 1977. Greg, uh, tell us about that estimated. You know, it's funny. That's the show that he got Wolf back. So he had been playing the bean and that's the, that's the return, the triumphant return of Wolf. And, you know, I had some updates and uh, different pickups, some alleged stuff. I'm not sure about the buffer. Things change, come and go. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, so that was really the significance of that show. And then I was just like, I was just listening to it. And I was like, uh, oh, well, nice little solo section. I thought that was a tough one. I don't know how these guys did, but it's like, it could go different ways, especially with the Mutron. But uh, see how they did. They, uh, they both got 77. So, uh, nice. so Steve maintains his title because he had two, point, two years off over three songs versus three for Vinny. Huge hats off to both of you guys. Vinny, you gave Steve a run for his money there. Jesus. Vinny, we'll start with you. Why 77? It just kind of sounded like 77. 77 is so distinct. It's just kind of hard to beat that. And it just right off the bat sounded like that. Wasn't too fast paced for 78. Wasn't like as loose as 76. And just sounded like 77, like a Fox Theater 77 or a Cornell for that matter. But I'm not going to put that show at the same level as that. But it's definitely a great. It's definitely a great, I'm going to go back and listen to this, but it just sounded like 77 to me. Is that defining the defining characteristic of 76, you think, loose? Maybe not. I don't know. I just feel like 77 is so tight that like 76 just kind of is kind of hard to compare 76 to 77. I don't know if it, maybe loose isn't the right term, but it, it just 77 just super tight. So like. I ask because I've always tried to like figure out exactly what is 70 because I find it, I'm not even that good at this and I can always spot a 76 and I'm not totally sure why. Steve, what do you think about 76 and nice pull on that 77? Yeah, well, there's definitely a distinct tone shift and I don't know exactly when it happens uh, between 76 and 77, but I think a lot of it has to do with uh, Keith Olsen whipping the band into shape to record Terrapin Station. 
Like he really put them through their paces and made made them like work at being tight. And so I think that's where a lot of you know the polish of the spring of seventy seven comes from. I nailed in on this one because uh, of Keith's tone, the drums. There's a definite shift between the spring and then Mickey. You know they didn't play any shows in the summer because Mickey broke his collarbone, and so when they came back in the fall, the drums had a very different tone, uh, the way they were mic'd or something. And, uh, and so, uh, and also Keith's not playing the grand he's playing. Um, well on this, he's playing that electric piano thing, but, uh, um, it's just a very different spring and spring and fall 77 sound very different. Yeah. Steve, we've talked a bit about being a war frat tonight and going to shows sober. And I'm wondering if you'd be open to sharing a bit about your journey uh, in that regard. Oh, well, that's a long story, but uh, the short version of it is, is that I was a crazy mixed up kid that was already knee deep in self-destructive and not super great uh, self-concept, self-destructive behaviors and not super great uh, self-concept when I went to my first Grateful Dead concert at RFK Stadium in summer of 1990. And the very short version of the story is that I had a very profound experience at that show where I was shown that um, just because of the fact that I existed, that I had value as a person in the universe, and that was important, but it wasn't enough to get me sober because <laughs> I had pretty significant problems uh, in that area. And uh, uh, it wasn't until Garcia died in 95 uh, I went to hell because that Garcia was effectively my higher power. My relationship with uh, the dead wasn't super healthy uh, at that time, right? And uh, so I, I just went to hell. And a couple, it was a couple years later that uh, after things got really bad, uh, like the party had been over, you know what I'm saying, that I, 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 I knew that I needed to, to stop using, basically. And so I got help for that. And... Uh, 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 and, um, over the years, what has been the biggest blessing and Kevin, maybe you can relate to this and others too, I hope, um, you know, for, I, cause I know people that are sober that didn't go to shows for years cause they were like afraid or whatever. And, uh, and that's totally legit. Like, I'm not like, I understand that it's a slippery environment and there's a lot of triggers and, um, but for me, what it was is, uh, the music changed to fit where I was at and became very supportive of what I was trying to do, which was to not be a drug addled degenerate, you know, and to kind of start to put my life into some positive trajectory. And the damnedest thing about it is the dead have been cheering me on this whole time. Right. And, and I'm like, I, that's what I'm, most grateful for with this situation is they showed me initially they gave me the like this really intense experience that showed me like dude you have value <laughs> right and uh I, well that's nice but what am i gonna do with that you know <laughs> and so it took a little while to to get miserable enough to then think oh wait like i, I have value you know, and, 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 and that's where the, the band, I, I often picture that, that really nice drawing of them in 1973, that pencil drawing with their faces saying, yeah, dude, you know, like, get the fuck out of here. Like that's, you know, Garcia was always, they were always saying like, man, 
why are you here? You know, like the songs, like, if you don't need to be here, what are you doing? I mean, we're, you know, and so like, it's this really beautiful relationship that I still have with Robert Hunter's lyrics, with Jerry Garcia's guitar, with Phil Lesh kicking my ass. You know, it's like when I need Mickey Hart said it at Jerry's wake, he's like, Garcia gave us the power. Go out and use it. Does that answer your question? It does, Steve. Thank you so much for uh, sharing that. And uh, thanks, Vinny. Great run. Greg, really, really appreciated your uh, your picks. Well, your guitars are your guitars are beautiful, man. Thanks, brother. Greg's guitars are beautiful, and you can check them out. Uh, DeLewis Guitars, link in the bio. That's also where you can find a link to Shelburne Farms, our prize pack provider tonight. Thank you so much to Shelburne Farms again. Thank you to Tom for connecting us. Again, Shelburne Farms is a place you can go and learn about sustainability in a really interactive way. It's super cool. I wish I lived in Vermont for a lot of reasons, but uh, visiting this place, which looks positively bucolic on their website, is a major one of them. Shelburne Farms, thank you all for uh, making this happen. And congrats, Steve, on being the beneficiary of the prize pack, which is some really uh, awesome cheeses. All right, you can subscribe to guests of the year on apple Podcasts and spotify if you would give us a rating of five stars hopefully and that helps other people find the show if you want to be a contestant on the show sponsor the show or make comments and ask questions email us at info shout out to dylan for doing all the art stuff around here and uh, james and jack for helping out behind the scenes as well thank you so much for listening again thanks to the amazing tapers whose recordings made this show possible congratulations to steve Wow. And to other contestants, thanks for playing. And remember, it's all one song anyway. And I bet you good night. Good night. Good night. And I bet you good night. Good night. Good night.